another podcast. It's, um, I think I said I was going to try to do one every week. Well, I'm sorry. That's not going to happen. I'm still in transition at work. Work is really picking up. I love it. Uh, one of the reasons that I love it, uh, is the intensity, but it's also working for freedom. And in this way, it's not strictly the relentless anti-trafficking against working against human slavery kind of freedom, but I'm talking about medical freedom. We're talking about our freedom rights as Americans, rights as citizens around the world and thinking about these things, which are really huge right now, super important. And, and so that's, that's really the passion. Although I still really want to continue this work because I see some things as we'll see that's related to everything going on in the world. And there's a conflagration, uh, like I mentioned about um, before about the global slavery index and talking about those things. So today I'm going to talk about climate change and human trafficking and what are the links? Uh, what are people saying? Is it really true? And how can we think about these big global issues and why we're hearing that they're linked and how I think about them. So I'm really not trying to tell you what to think about them, but I'm trying to pick apart what I'm hearing other people saying and what other people in the climate change sector and the human trafficking sector and, and things like that. What are they saying? And sort of my perspective and to help shed some light on some big trends like that. So you know, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of climate alarmism. Is there climate change? Yes. Do we need to care about the environment? Yes. Should we be better stewards of this planet? Hell yes. <laughs> but, you know, I see there's a lot of extremism. There's a lot of alarmism that really isn't panning out. I mean, we were going to be dying of, you know, climate change for the last hundred years and nothing's, um, nothing's happening. Um, so there is stuff happening, but it's not quite to the extent that we're seeing, you know, and I, so I see this kind of climate alarmism the same way as I see some of the hyper sensationalism about human trafficking and especially sex trafficking, you know, it really is well-intentioned. People want to get your attention. They want to mobilize you to do something, but it moves energy in a very ineffective way. And they're not proposing real life solutions to doing anything. I saw this video about people, you know, well, I think it, never mind. It was like vegans dumping milk. I'm like, how does that really help animals? I don't understand. Um, so climate change is real, but it's not an emergency. And actually disasters, as we measure disasters in terms of cost and in terms of human death, they're actually going down. And so the global annual death rate from disasters has plummeted due to our ability to be resilient and to develop infrastructure. You know, more people, we have a lot of floods. Well, people are living in floodplains than we used to. There's a high dollar of destruction because if you look at, say, beaches in Florida or other places, like the development is just, is just, is just skyrocketing. But the global population has quadrupled, yet the death rate from disasters is down by 90%. Uh, so carbon, global carbon emissions have actually decreased by about 22%, which is kind of surprising to me. We actually have less deforestation as a whole. Uh, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization forecasts crop yields increasing 
over the next decades, um, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, where it's going to skyrocket to, you know, it's going to increase by maybe 75, 80%. So, you know, this really, this crazy um, focus on climate distracts our attention from other threats to wildlife or and other threats um, against humans. So that's what we're going to talk about. So what is the connection between climate change and human trafficking or modern day slavery? Really, one of the connections is that I think they're both poorly, poorly defined. You know, as I said, we've been hearing about activists declaring the end of the world in like one or two decades for about six decades now. Uh, we hear that there's 50 million slaves at any point in time, and we continue to yawn. I mean, what is that? How are they defining this human trafficking? And we'll get it. You know, I've heard you talk about, you know, that's still too much. You know, we don't want climate change. We don't want these environmental disasters. But, you know, activists, you know, for climate, for trafficking, for other social justice issues, they conflate and sensationalize um, human trafficking with other crimes and issues so that the public you know, including big donors and people, well-meaning people who want to do good in the world are confused about the issue. They're confused about how to prevent it, and they're confused about effective interventions. So governments, as I've said before, divine their version of human trafficking as narrow as possible in order to absolve themselves of taking responsibility for crimes within their borders. You know, corporations hide between, hide between opaque supply chains to excuse themselves from protecting vulnerable who work for them or subsidiaries and the governments let them get away with that but you know you can substitute climate change for human trafficking in there you know they're defining it we want to take these big initiatives um but is it really effective that's what you know we're going to look at you know there's a growing acknowledgement now i've seen several reports in the last few years um that climate change is a cause of slavery and that this is obvious. Well, it's what's well, not obvious to me. You know, this this is based on very little data. This so-called fact that climate that human trafficking is caused by climate change is just a rubric that gets repeated over and over again until you know it becomes true. Because well, you just keep hearing it. But actually, you know, and they say it's obvious. You know, so when it's not obvious, you know, it's not is to me. Then you're gaslit to think you don't know anything about the issue. And you need to pay attention to the experts. So now governments, corporations, and activists, and, you know, and other, like, people who are in the anti-trafficking sector are joining this bandwagon because now we have these reports saying this. But I'm going to show these and that, you know, that it's something that we can, but this is so convenient because it's something that we can collectively agree on and it doesn't really interfere with anyone else's shtick about, you know, sex trafficking or labor trafficking or migrants or something in particular. Um, it doesn't diminish anyone's piece of the pie to say like, oh, human trafficking is caused by climate change. Oh, well, then we can all agree then on climate change is bad. So it's a nebulous issue and it's a self-highly contentious, of course, Um like human trafficking, climate change can be a cause de célébré. You know, it's easy to make it one of the scapegoats of all our ills because, oh, because climate change. Uh, so, I mean, that's not really, it's not really true. And I don't like it when they take away 
energy from real interventions, real causes of human trafficking. So that's why I'm talking about this. <laughs> so I'm not denying that, of course, that we need to take better care of our environment. I already said that. Or deny that we're, we are doing things that hurt it. You know, But what I'm saying, there's another aspect to these climate change policies that do not, in fact, promote human flourishing. They do not lift people out of poverty, you know, and poverty is a risk factor for human trafficking. So as I'm reading these reports, like the Global Slavery Index, which I went over a few weeks ago, there's more and more references to climate-related, fill-in-the-blank, disaster or crisis, you know, as if all environmental crises are directly related to or caused by climate change. This has not been proven. Um, but like I said, it's a rubric that keeps getting repeated so often that it has to be true. This also happens with human trafficking, such as the claim that 100,000 to 300,000 children in the United States are trafficked every year. You might have heard that one. It's not true. Um, but some stat that's been perverted, um, I'm not going to go into that now, but you, you see where stats and phrases keep, keep getting report, repeated so that you think it's true. So I mentioned the um, latest Global Slavery Index, and so they had mentioned that, you know, climate change and pandemic and other things are causing slavery. There's another report published in 2016 by the IOM, the International Organization for Migration, and it's called the Climate Change Human Trafficking Nexus. Um, oh, by the way, I'm going to link to all of these reports um, in the show notes. So, and... They, you know, here's a climate change, human trafficking nexus. But in the outset, they, and throughout the paper, they admit that they're, they're lacking data. And they're actually only going by anecdotal evidence from the field. I'm quoting, in the absence of academic studies or policy documents on the topic, anecdotal evidence from field practitioners reflected in gray literature, dot, 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 etc., so they really just want to make a point that there is a nexus, but they don't have data to back it up. But it's they, this is a narrative that we have to say. And so, you know, this paper makes some leaps. They connect dots um, that are certainly related. Um, but we can attribute, but, you know, but that we can attribute climate change as a direct cause of slavery is a stretch, of reasoning. I can think of a myriad other factors and vulnerabilities along with environmental issues that contribute to the likelihood that someone ends up exploited in slavery. They really want to push the point that climate change is the main driver here. None of their solutions they propose in the paper are unique or innovative. The solutions aren't necessarily related to climate change. And they're reasonable in terms of probable effectiveness. Um, the problem is that it's being proposed under climate change. So the solutions they propose have really nothing to do with climate change. It's just tried and true uh, community development practices. You know, they just want to say, like, it's climate change, but do these other things that we know that work, even though it has nothing to do with climate change. It's like they want to promote a narrative, which I think they do. So in June of this year, 2022, the International Institute for Environment and Development IIED published climate change, migration, and vulnerability to trafficking report. So I quote, this uh, working paper presents empirical evidence on the links between climate change, migration, and trafficking. It then unpacks the underlying drivers that policymakers should target to deal with this nexus, 
that nexus again. Um, nexus is they're just making a connection. Um, and, and so they're, they look at two areas, um, in India, but the solutions that they propose again, okay. So these two areas, let me go back, these two areas in India, one was affected affected by drought and the other was affected by trafficking I mean flooding um and so so it's these these uh weather events the flooding and the drought and then it's causing vulnerabilities people are migrating and when people migrate they're trafficked um and so it's they're making a few connections I'm not saying that there's no link but the direct connection is lacking. And so they propose some solutions. Again, they're not specifically related to climate change. Um, They recommend other interventions to improve livelihoods and decrease exposure to criminality. But of the interventions that are quote unquote climate smart, um, there's no pilot studies that have actually been done to show the effectiveness in terms of cost and benefit. You know, they don't report on that. They just make some, we guess we could do that. You know, so, you know, these articles just, you know, that are specifically linking climate change and trafficking aren't very convincing arguments about, one, the link between trafficking and climate change and that the the solutions about climate change um, will work. They don't produce, they don't, they just say, oh, more renewables. More renewables, more renewables, more renewables. But as I'm going to show, you know, so what is the problem with that? Um, What's wrong with saying that climate change causes more slavery or connecting these two? Um, And so, you know, I'm, (laughs) so I'll just give you some examples. You know, this, you know, it's highly nuanced. Climate change is nuanced, as you can tell by the reporting. You know, what's a convenient fact and what's a not convenient fact? Um, Same with human trafficking. It's a lot of nuance. There's just, it's just not clear cut at all. And so uh, a couple of clear links between climate change uh, and human trafficking is that components for solar energy largely comes from state-sponsored slavery in China. I mean, I don't think there's a solar panel around uh, that does not have any link that is without a link to the abuse of Uyghur Muslims in Western China, in Xijiang. Uh, The demand for renewables is actually feeding the exploitation of a marginalized group. Another link is that precious and rare metals used in batteries, used in solar panels, are mined by slave laborers, excuse me, including children. You know, these are really ugly details. They're not exactly ignored, but it's usually not the first thing mentioned. You know, these are real things we have to talk about, but when we want to push, we want solar energy, um, but yet, oh, and then John Kerry says, oh, that's not, oh, I'm just here about, I'm the climates are, so, but I'm not going to worry about human trafficking. You know, as if, like, I think we can pay attention to both? I think we should. You know, because poverty is a driver, but it's not direct cause of slavery. Poverty creates vulnerabilities to being trafficked, but loads of people in poverty aren't slaves. 
You know, that leads to another topic about the spectrum of exploitation, slave-like conditions, slavery and trafficking. It's another topic for another time. But you see how, you know, it just kind of spin off in all kinds of tangents here. You know, here's here's another connection that I, I just have questions. I'm not quite, I don't quite have all the science. Let me explain it to you um, here first. So one of the great pioneers, really truly a great pioneer in the work against uh, modern slavery is Kevin Bales. You know, he published Disposable People, I think in 1997, 99 or something. Anyway, um, but in a keynote speech um, last July, you know, he seems to be saying that deforestation, which I said is less now, but deforestation is always illegal. It's, it's always wrong and it's always using slave labor to do it. Uh, he also claims he can calculate carbon dioxide emissions from slave labor. He states that if slavery were a country, his calculations of tons of CO2 would make the third largest carbon emitter in the world behind China and the USA. Um, he backed up, you know, he's, I, you know, I, I, he says his, his calculations have been also backed up by the organizations 350, Bill McKibben, more comments about that later. Um, and he says that carbon credits could amount to $29 billion and that money could go towards eradicating slavery. Um, so I'm not really sure, like, you know, he works out, well, well, we could charge traffickers the, or the deforesters, you know, like deforestation isn't always legal and it's not always using slave labor. I just, I, I just, that's just not true. Um, and then how are you going to get, you're going to charge the traffickers, the carbon emissions. I'm just not seeing his logic of how that works. I would, you know, I'm just saying this out. I'm, I'm still working through this, but I would be remiss um, without mentioning it. Like I said, I have been working on this talk. Side note, I've been working on this talk for a very long time. And I just said, okay, today's the day because I get in this habit of just going on and on um, researching um, in ad finitum, you know, in to infinity and without actually completing a thing. Anyway, so, you know, this is just some dubious claims that I thought were kind of, I don't know, like, I think we need to take a better look at that. So moving on, um, do the current climate change policies and interventions help human trafficking? I mean, there's another question is like, are they actually helping climate change. Um, but my question is, are these climate change policies and interventions helping human trafficking? So uh, I've been doing a lot of reading and uh, I've mentioned Michael Schellenberger. He wrote uh, Apocalypse Never and Bjorn Lomborg who wrote False Alarm. Um, excellent, excellent books. And there's more podcasts and, and tweets and all kinds of stuff. Um, but they're both really proponents of human flourishing. And so a lot of climate change interventions actually make more people poor while doing little to help climate change. You know, uh, Schellenberger said that food production and sustainability isn't impacted so much by climate change as it is by technological development. You know, so poor farmers need irrigation. They need fertilizer and tractors. Uh, look what happened in Sri Lanka. 
why would you know why would we use land that could otherwise be used for agriculture um and we're taking up land for energy dilute sources such as wind and solar uh According to Schellenberger, solar uses 379 times more land and wind uses 421 times more land than nuclear energy. Now, nuclear, I'm not going to go into nuclear energy, but it's energy dense. Um, when we look at how much land it takes to produce the same kilowatt or kilojoule uh, as opposed to nuclear, it's almost 400 times more when we could use that for growing food. Um, Schellenberger, in his book, Apocalypse Never, is a very, very good uh, case study. In Uganda is the Virunga Forest. And Virunga Forest is where we have the famous gorillas. And he, and he puts his forest as a classic, classic example of conflicting perspectives and competing narratives. We're talking about poor and development and climate change or climate-friendly, um, pro-climate interventions. So I'm quoting, you know, people are completely displaced from parks such as Virunga. You know, they're there to protect the environment, protect the gorillas and so forth. And conservation of refuges are created when, quote, whole societies have been transformed from independent and self-sustaining to deeply dependent and poor communities. You know, protected park animals wreck farms and each eat produce, sometimes wiping out crops and the farmers get no compensation from the park and are not allowed to kill the protected animals. So there's no fence around the park. You know, it's just a park, but you have these villages and farmers um, on the edges of the park and they're trying to grow. Um, but the animals are looking for food and they're wandering outside the park and they're wiping out communities and farms and people's entirely livelihoods. Um, and, but when these animals that are protected wipe out their livelihoods, the farmers get no compensation. Um, and they're not allowed to kill the animals to eat them. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think I get that, but... Um, furthermore, he states, attempts to build a hydroelectric dam to provide a city of two million of more to a city, sorry, a hydroelectric, attempts to build a hydroelectric dam to provide a city of two million of more reliable energy than wood and charcoal. Okay. So there's, there it's, they want to build a dam, but it will dam up and kind of you know, they have to divert some water, you know, from the park or through the park. Um, but hydroelectric is cleaner than wood and charcoal. But it's going to, you know, wreck the nature of the park. Um, and so we can't do that. Um, and so a city of 2 million people are forced to continue to burn wood and charcoal, which is way, way dirtier than coal, way dirtier than natural gas. Um, so it's just a little bit, you know, it's just a little bit, um, what do I say? Um, hypocritical, you know, it, the people still need energy to get access from the wood and be, you know, forget energy saving stones, stoves, these people, you know, and they say, oh, we'll have stoves that are energy saving. Well, they're still cooking on stoves, 
you know, these people need a real boost in order to improve their lives. Fossil fuels will help lift people out of poverty, and then they'll start leaving the park and the animals alone. Drilling for oil and nature preservation are not mutually exclusive. A quote, meanwhile, people destroy forests for the less energy-dense sources and more dirty sources like wood. Um, so the, you know, but, you know, so they go, so the supply of charcoal is a large threat to Congo Basin forests. And so why are we not building dams? Why are we keeping these people primitive and vulnerable to traffickers? Um, you know, not to mention that, you know, I mentioned that renewable sources, they're a regular in output and they actually contribute to increasing cost of energy. And if you have wind and solar, you can have a lot of this, but you still need a backup of natural gas or electricity. Um, just ask Germany. <laughs> um, you know, in Europe now, sky energy prices are absolutely skyrocketing. Um, you know, and for a lot of us, you know, including me, yeah, that would hurt financially, but we'll still manage. But there's millions of people, you know, impoverished in develop in developing nations that energy is already too expensive and it'll put their opportunities for economic growth even further from reality. So poor economic growth means people living in poverty, they're experiencing poor health, um, reduced access to higher education, and all of which increases their vulnerability to becoming enslaved. You know, Bjorn Lomborg, in his book False Alarm, he states, when we see a town hit by a hurricane and seriously suggest that we should make lives better by cutting a ton of carbon dioxide, we are not actually trying to do good but we are imposing our own priorities on people who have little power to assert their own. So that's, that's a profound statement. You know, when we say, no, because climate change, we're not going to allow you to prosper. I think that's false. Uh, natural disasters, which may or may not be related to climate change, do contribute to people's vulnerability to human trafficking and other form, forms of exploitation. The answer is not to implement climate change policies, um, which may not have a measurable impact on the situation. You know, reducing carbon emissions won't actually do much for the poor, poor farmer. They're displaced by conservation neocolonialism. Their land is flooding or crops are raided by the protected animals. Um, what they need is modern farm machinery. They need infrastructure. They need irrigation. That will help more immediately in more intangible ways. Um, Sustainable development keeps people poor. It often means that poor and developing nations have to keep using small-scale, environmentally unfriendly, like wood, charcoal, dung, um, you know, or energy sparse, energy dilute, renewable energy. You know, forests can return when people use less land. But remember how much land it requires to have a wind farm or solar, pa solar panel farm? So organic free-range farming, you know, I get it. I want to eat as healthy as possible. But those, those lifestyles require vastly more land and would take away land, take away land habitat needed for endangered species such as gorillas. Family farms simply won't feed everyone on Earth. You know, what if we consider that famines and food crises uh, occur because, not because we are, dis because, let me say this again. 
you know, could we consider that famines and food crises occur because we're not addressing issues of food distribution, as what happens in times of war and other humanitarian crises? So uh, another connection, a little bit of side note here, digression, I'll come back. But, you know, underlying the movement of climate extremism is the anti-human Malthusian perspective that the world is seriously overpopulated and we will all die if we allow so many people to live. Um, you know, this obviously does not seek human flourishing. Large donors and activist organizations are people who have expressed Malthusian sentiments. This is anti-population. This is depopulation. Um, this is a population extremist. We have too many people in the world. Most people wouldn't know this, um, but I thought it was interesting. I don't have time to do a deep dive on this, but, you know, ask me why would a Malthusianism, why would someone with uh, pur purporting the ideas of Malthus um, be interested in addressing human trafficking, you know, saving, why would someone interested in depopulation or thinking we're overpopulated be interested in saving poor saps who found themselves enslaved that seems to be counter to the Darwinian sentiment that the fittest survive and that if you do not survive, then obviously you're not fit. Um, so the anti-slavery movement seeks to move as many people into better states of well-being, um, not eradicate them so others can live better. So I'm not sure why, I'm not sure why, you know, this is very contradictory. Um, but it seems rather untoward. It seems deceptive and self-serving, if not malicious. If Malthusians, Malthusian per, um, proponents are promoting, you know, anti-trafficking um, interventions through climate change. And so, like I said, it's it's unexplored, but just a point I thought I'd make because it's interesting. Um, but let's have a call to action. And so, what what's going on? Slavery is causing climate change, and climate change is causing slavery. Um, you know, it would be really nice to study, to have a study testing the hypothesis that an intervention to stem climate change in a particular region directly impacts the level of human trafficking in that region. You know, but that's impossible because that's not how climate change works. It's not actually how trafficking works either, but, you know, climate change is, you know, it's an unfalsifiable argument, and that's partly why it's so popular to make. It's just, like I said before, it's nebulous. It's, there's no particular human involved. You can say, oh, I'm against slavery and I'm against climate change. Um, but there's not, there's not a whole lot of um, direct things to do about it. So yes, we need to stop environmental destruction, preserve forests, maintain lands for wildlife. This is called good stewardship. Um, but it's overstating the case to say that all forms of environmental destruction is due to slavery and un um, unscrupulous cor corporations turning a blind eye to, sl to slavery or to the environment. Um, you know, is, is illegal stuff going on? You know, the, the, the fishing comp the, the fisher companies that are enslaving people on their boats and in their fish processing plants on shore are also the same companies that are fishing illegally. You know, so it goes hand in hand. Um, but it's a real, real, you know, that's a real problem. But, you know, carbon, carbon credits won't lift these people out of poverty. You know, that money, 
you know, the carbon credit scheme proposed by Bales just, it means like big corporations give money to other corporations or to multinational non-governmental organizations. Um, you know, so I'm not, you know, this is just obfuscating the truth about climate change, what the real issues done and obfuscating the real truth about human trafficking. Um, you know, just ends up crippling the regular and middle and lower class citizen. And they ultimately take no responsibility for what they've wrought. Um, this is big corporations, you know, so always doing anti-slavery or, you know, your slavery footprint or something like that. So it's when, you know, the, the regular person is, is doing all that they can, you know, to shop responsibly and things like that. Um, and I'm not saying that doesn't make a difference. It, it really does. Um, but in the end, um, you know, it's big corporations that are continuing to, to have a blind eye. Um, you know, I, so to help reduce slavery, we need to help reduce people's vulnerability, full stop. And one of the best ways to, ways to reduce vulnerability is to reduce poverty. But like I said, not all impoverished people are trafficked. Renewables will not lift people out of poverty, like I said before. Uh, <laughs> you know, limiting, you know, you know, limiting fossil fuels, uh, according to um, Bjorn Lomborg, and I'm inclined to see it his way. Um, it hurts the poor. Climate policies and the focus on green energy increases fuel prices, while only marginally decreasing carbon emissions. Um, and so you don't have a big, there's no big bang for your buck on the environmental impact. Um, so Lomborg says in his book, False Alarm, choosing climate policies over growth policies doesn't just do nothing. It means more people die avoidable deaths. What people need to survive drought, floods, and et cetera, is to be healthier and wealthier in order to better adapt. What if we help these vulnerable communities to grow economically and make them more resilient to disasters? Like I said, that there we already are becoming more resilient as the death rate is dropping. Well, we could even we could do even better now with our technology. Um, Globally targeted at sustainable projects don't have the impact that investments in nutrition, health, education, and infrastructure. So invest in people, not in climate change, in people. I'll say it again. We need to invest in nutrition, health, education, and infrastructure, you know, and agriculture, you know, the irrigation, the modern farming equipment and fertilizer, not these uh, global sustainable projects. Um, climate policies disadvantage the poor when they have to pay much more of a percentage of their income on fuel. fuel. Um, and so that keeps them down. Uh, Bjorn Lundberg is full of good quotes. Here's another one. It's perverse to hear rich people piously claim that we should help the world's poor by cutting carbon dioxide to make their future slightly less worse. When we have huge opportunities to make their lives much, much better, much more quickly, and much more effectively. So climate change is not enslaving people. People enslave people. Um, people make laws. People break the laws. Um, you know, the Rohingya in Myanmar, for example, uh, in 
in Western Myanmar, they're, they're, they're not displaced because of climate change. They're displaced because people in governments in Myanmar are putting them in places where they should not be in the first place. You know, so Myanmar doesn't like them. They're displaced. Now, Bangladesh, I mean, God bless them, Bangladesh, they already have so many people and they're already living, you know, in a flood prone, prone, flood prone area. And so then they, where they stick them, they stick them where they can. They've more flood prone areas, you know, and so if only people would stop, uh, you know, enslaving other people, if only, you know, people would stop, you know, having wars, if only logging companies would stop enslaving people, or if only people would stop uh, doing that bondage and, and enslaving entire families in brick kilns, if only people would stop paying for organs on the black market, if only people would stop demanding mail order brides, if only people would stop demanding porn, if only we would realize that sex work isn't really work, you know, but what, what really works to get people to stop doing these things? You know, it's really, it, it all comes down to the heart, <laughs> individuals, and one of the ways I always preach about is good old-fashioned community development that strengthens the family and the community as a whole. And then like a drop in the water, strong communities lead to greater waves of resiliency. And so let's keep working on that. Um, and so that's my little rant on climate change and human trafficking. Uh, I hope you learned something. I hope it challenged you. Um, please challenge me back. Um, I'm by no way an, you know, an expert and you could tell there's still some gaps in my research, but I thought, you know, really I've, I've got to, um, get something down. I want to get something out and, um, produce to you. So, um, but like I said, uh, let's have a talk about it. Thank you for listening and thank you for hanging around. Thank you for your patience. Um, and we'll see what's going on with Relentless and uh it's all great enjoy the fantastic fall weather and i'll see you again in a couple of weeks bye